I don't know if you are aware or not of the significance of this day. The anniversary that is celebrated on this day. Not 10 or 15 or 30 years ago, but much longer than that. I didn't know that till this morning when I turned on my email and I saw that an email that I'd received from a little source I get every day said that on October the 22nd, 4004 B.C., exactly 5 a.m. Eastern Time, God created the universe. Now, that was by James Usher, a well-respected scholar in the Anglican Church who made that calculation. He was in the Irish Church in the early 17th century. Now, I don't know how accurate that was. I'm not sure how he pinpointed it at such precise time. But if he's even close, it's a pretty big day, don't you think? Yeah. There are other anniversaries, there are other things to celebrate, but I, and, and we're celebrating and thinking about the Reformation now. But I don't know, that's a pretty big deal. That's extra, that's not a part of the sermon. I just thought I'd, you'd want to know that this morning before we got into the, uh, the actual text of the sermon. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Verses 33 through 36. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. When I was in Canada a few weeks ago on the trip that Pastor Scott was giving a report on just a little bit ago, at some point during that week, I'm not sure if it was, I guess it was early part of the week, I was on the phone with Pastor Todd. And Pastor Todd said, uh, Bill, I, I've, I've got a real dilemma. He was preparing his sermon on Sola Fide. Uh, by faith alone. And he said, I've got a real dilemma here. I'm, I'm trying real hard to stay out of the book of Romans, but I'm not having a lot of success, knowing that we're going through Romans in our series that we're taking a little break from now. To which I said, oh, Todd, go to Romans. you got to go to Romans if you're talking about the solas. If you're talking about the solas of the Reformation, the, the great battle cries of the Reformation, you cannot miss it, you cannot avoid Romans. I mean, there are other places that it's there, but in Romans, the Apostle Paul makes it so clear what these five solas are all about. And today is no different. There are other passages I could have gone to, and I'll obviously refer to those in just a few moments, but, but the truth of the matter is, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, gives us, perhaps to me, at least in my opinion, limited as that might be, Romans chapter 11, those last four verses of that chapter, give me the most beautiful expression, the, the most beautiful uh, exposition, if you will, of, of solo deo gloria, to God alone be the glory that you'll find anywhere in all of Scripture. And so while it's true that in just a few months or so we'll get back to the same passage, I'll see how much you remember from this one then, because I'll preach this same sermon again in the, when I get to Romans 11.33, if, if that's all right with you. You'll forget it, I know. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with this question, the number one question. What is the chief end of man? So that's a significant question. Spurgeon used that same question to, to begin his catechism in, in 1855. But, 
But the Westminster Divines, long before that, said, What is the chief end of man? What that means is, why were you created? Why do you even have existence? Is, is the chief end of man to get a job and make a lot of money and, and be famous? Is the chief end of man to, to be happy and, and have everybody around me trying to make me happy and meet my needs and meet my pleasures and, 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 and so that I can be happy in this world? Is the chief end of man, is my chief end to make somebody else happy? And so I just set out to make somebody else happy. What is the chief end of man and woman? What is the chief end of humankind that God created and placed on the earth? What is your chief end? Well, the Westminster Divines gave a very simple answer. And they simply said this, Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him now and in the future and in all of eternity. The, chief, the, the reason we have been created, the reason we have been formed by God is that we might glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. But in order to glorify Him, you have to understand a little bit about Him. You have to understand a little bit about who He is and what He's like. And, and you, have to, you have to understand a little bit about who this one is that created you, who He is. Paul spends the first 11 chapters of Romans telling us that. He, he tells us who we are and He tells us who God is. He tells us our dilemma and He tells us God's uh, a solution for that dilemma. He, he tells us all that's going on in the world and all that is going on in the world and how God has a purpose and a plan to be able to overcome all of that. I mean, the book of Romans is packed with great truth. And Paul, for 11 chapters, has been writing all about that. Man is sinner in need of salvation and only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ is only son is their salvation available i mean uh, he covers all the solas in, in romans as we have in the last four weeks sola scriptura we started out with by scripture alone that is that that is our ultimate authority that is where god speaks that is where we go to we, we want to hear the voice of god as i think i said in that sermon uh, I read where somebody said one time, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak loudly, read it loudly. Because the truth of the matter is, the Scripture, sola scriptura, the Scripture alone is where we find the voice of God. Applied by His Holy Spirit, enlightened by His Holy Spirit, but the Word of God, the Scripture, the Bible, is the Word of God. So we saw Sola Scriptura, mainly looking at Paul's letter, second letter to Timothy. Then we saw Sola Fide, and Pastor Todd did an outstanding job uh, on that particular week. While I was in Canada, I, I listened to the sermon that afternoon while I was there resting in the afternoon in my room, and, I, and he, he unfolded to us that, that, that it's not by our works, it's not by our good deeds, it's not by any merit that we can somehow work up before God, but our salvation is by faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ. It is just believing that He is, but more than that, 
It's believing in Him. It is trusting in Him. And trusting in Him plus nothing. As is said, Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus without anything is everything when it comes to salvation. It's by faith alone. And we learn that through the Scripture alone. Then the next week we talked about sola gratia, by grace alone. And, and, and there's a, a, a natural thing which in one sense that grace alone should have preceded uh, faith alone, but, but I wanted to preach on that and didn't want Todd to, so I, I reversed that. And, and by grace alone, it's only by His grace. There, on, the day of, on the day of judgment, we're not going to be able to say there and say, God, God, listen, I was smart enough, good enough, clever enough, whatever, that I could come and pursue you. But all we can say is, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to enter into your presence. I don't deserve to know you. It is by your grace alone, even that I believe. We saw that out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. For by grace alone you have been saved. And that not of works. It is a gift. Of, it, even it, it, the faith even is a gift of God. So that no man may boast. No woman may boast. Then we saw last week from Pastor Scott, Sola Gratia. Excuse me. Saw last week from Pastor Scott, Solus Christus. In Christ alone. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is the only way, that is the only way whereby we can come to relationship with God. And those were the cries of the Reformation, along with solo deo gloria. Now, now I realize you don't, most of you in here anyway, don't know Latin. You don't read and interpret Latin. But as you, as you look at each of those, you have no trouble identifying what those solas are talking about. And we come to solo deo gloria, you, you really have to understand sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, and solus Christus in order to understand solo deo gloria. Because if any of those are not true, then, then God is going to have to give up some of his glory. And I'm going to be able to claim some of that glory. And, and I'm going to be able to say, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty smart. I'm a pretty good person. You see... The solas, one, two, three, and four, those first four solas are perhaps the most humbling statements in all the world. They ought not cause us to be prideful. They ought, they ought never to cause us to think that we're better than somebody who's walking in sin and walking in the world and because we're Christians, we're, we're smarter than them, or we're better than them, ought never cause us to, to be haughty or prideful. Those four solas, because of Scripture, by grace, through faith, in Christ, ought to cause us to be the most humble people on the face of the earth. Because when you understand those, you understand you didn't get what you deserved. And thanks be to God, we didn't get what we deserved. Because if we got what we deserved, it wouldn't be salvation, it wouldn't be Christ, it wouldn't be heaven, it wouldn't be any of those things, it wouldn't be eternal life. If we got what we deserved, we'd be cast into the pit immediately. If we got what we deserved. 
and so you come to Soledad Gloria, and you, you almost look at that, and you ask the question, well, which of the five solas are the most important? And you have to be able to, have to, be able to see clearly here that one is not more important than the other. They are all encompassing, and they are all a part of this great truth. Now, when you come to Soledad Gloria, I want you to understand we know that the reformers didn't officially use these five things. They began to teach these things, and that grew out later, the actual formulation and statement of it. But when you come to Solo Deo Gloria, that is perhaps the one that, that would not have been argued or would not have been challenged in the Reformation. As we talked about Luther and his going and nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door and, and the challenge there to, to Catholic doctrine in his day, the Catholic Church would have said, of course we believe it's Scripture. We, we, of course we believe the Bible is the Word of God. They would have said, of course we believe there must be faith. Of course there, uh, we believe uh, there must be grace. Of course we believe that Christ is the only way. I mean, all of those would have been clearly agreed on if they had left out that one word, sola. They would have said, Christ is necessary, the Bible is necessary, grace is necessary, faith is necessary. They would have said, absolutely. But on those four, when that word sola was added to it, it became an explosion within the Christian world. Because the church would say, no, it was Scripture plus tradition. It was Scripture what the Pope said. It was Scripture what the bishops and, and others interpreted and, and passed on. And it was, it, was, it was Scripture plus something else. Faith was Scripture well, it was faith plus work, that, that you, could not, you could not earn right favor with God unless your works were such a way. Thus, purgatory was necessary in their doctrine, that you had to go because your works weren't good enough, and you had to have your sins cleansed away for a million years or so, and then maybe you'd be holy enough to enter the presence of God. And, and so it wasn't just by faith, it's by the works you do. That's why indulgences became such a big thing. That maybe I can give a little money to, to Bill St. Peter's and, and by doing that someone can pray for me and I'll get a year or two or ten years or maybe even a thousand years taken off of purgatory. I, I need to do that to be able to move on through there as quickly as possible because it's faith by your works. Now, we believe that works will issue forth from faith. Don't ever miss that. We don't believe it's faith and no works at all. We just don't believe works figure into salvation at all. We believe it's by faith alone, and then once faith alone has gripped your heart and you are in Christ, then that will cause you to do, to, will issue forth in works because you, have, you are his workmanship created for good works when you're in Christ. Grace alone. Grace was important, but grace was more of, as my, my, one of my favorite writers, Michael Reeves from England says, in the, in the tradition that Luther was coming out of, grace was more a, a spiritual Red Bull. You had to get a little grace every now and then to kind of get pumped up and excited, and then you could move on. But it, it wasn't an overarching thing. But, but, but Luther said, no, it's, it's grace alone. It's only by the grace of God in Christ. Now, when you see those four, when you grasp those four as much as we humanly can, and we're ready for solo deo gloria. We're ready to come what the Apostle Paul is going to talk about in these last verses. And you thought I'd never get there, chapter 11. But we needed that to get to it. Hear what he says starting verse 33. 
Oh, and I want you to, I want you to see this. I can almost see Paul. I, I can almost see Paul when he gets to these four verses. He's written all this great theology, chapters 1 through 11. He's coming to the end of that. He's going to move into chapter 12. He's going to be doing practical stuff. He's going to say, now on the basis of what I just said, here's how you apply it to your life. But he's coming to the end of this great magnus of theology. And, and this is what he says. I, I can almost see him writing it. But I almost see him writing it and looking heavenly and, 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 and almost screaming, almost yelling as he writes this down. I, I, I don't, I, in my own imagination, it may be a vain imagination, but it's my imagination. My imagination, I can't see Paul just writing this. I, I, I hear him verbalizing it, okay? So join me in doing that. Join me in hearing that this morning. Oh, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God based on everything I've just written. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid, and the implication there is that it might be a required repayment from him. I gave God something, he had to pay me back. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Yeah, that's what he says. Amen. To him be the glory forever. Amen and amen and amen. B.B. Warfield said that the, 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 the sort of the, the essence of what happened in the, in the Reformation was there was, a, there was a new comprehension of the majesty of God. In the Reformation, there was a new understanding of His greatness and of His glory that had been downplayed, that had been put in other people, that had been spread around to other places. But, but in the Reformation, there was a new grasping of God's glory and God's beauty and God's majesty and God's holiness and God's love and God's grace in such a way that had been forgotten through generation after generation after generation. And so Luther, in his first part of Romans, when he came to that, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, and, and then to the Greek, for in it the, the righteousness of God is made known. For in it the righteousness from God is made known to us. And, and Paul said that, Luther saw that, and it just burst on his on his spiritual vision, his spiritual sight. And then he got to the end of Paul's chapter 11 and he saw the Apostle Paul just glorying in, in the work of God, in the inscrutability of God, in the, in the incomprehensibleness of God. And even in that, he understood God as he had revealed himself 
in the scripture. You see, when Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God, his ways are, his judgments are unsearchable, inscrutable are his ways. He's saying the same thing the prophet said when he said, his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And it doesn't mean that we can't know the will of God. It doesn't mean that we can't know the ways of God in a limited sort of way. And that we can't know the person of God and his judgments in a limited sort of way. It just means that we can't know them naturally. It takes a supernatural working of the Spirit of God in our life by his Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see those things. The Reformation was a reacquiring of the majesty and the glory of God. I, I love what we sang today and what the choir sang. When, when, when they sang Almighty God, I just almost couldn't sit down. The, the message of that music, the message in that song is just soul-lifting. And then we sang things like immortal, invisible, God only wise. That's what Paul is saying here. You know, how, how depth, how, oh, how the depth of the riches and wisdom of God. God only wise. We become wise in our own sight and we seek after idols. We become wise in our own sight and we make ourselves our God. We see that he is the only one that is wise, or the mercy tree, or come praise and glorify the Lord, or how great is our God. I, I love that. Uh, it's probably too much trouble to ask for the slide or the chorus of that one, isn't it? Not for, not for Gerald. It's not. I didn't tell him I was going to do this. I should have. I'm sorry, I'll never do it again to you. It's the first time I've done it in a long time. You got that? Come praise and glorify our God. Ah, oh, never mind. The point I wanted you to make there, and you'll remember it because we just sang it, is that there was both words to you, from, from you to other people around you. There. Oh, go praise and glorify our God. Give me the next one. What's the... That's not it either. Go another one. Another one. No. All that's good truth, though. One more. One more. I'm in the wrong song. <laughs> anyway, in this song, it's good, too. It, it, it exhorts to one another, come praise and glorify the Lord together. It exhorts us. It, it tells us that, that He is the one who is worthy of our praise. It's understanding solo Deo Gloria. To Him alone be the glory. And then we sing, how great is our God. The, the point that we have to see, and it's the title of the sermon, that when we really understand truth of God's Word, when we really understand theology, theology is not some foreign subject out there that we have to that, that really is, is just for the professionals to deal with. Theology is knowing God. 
And when we know God, as Paul has revealed him in Romans, when we come to that, we go from theology to doxology. Now, we all know the doxology, don't we? We all know that little, that little worship chorus that periodically we sing. It's older than any of us. It's older than, than a lot of folks around here. But we know that, don't we? How many of you know the doxology? Good. All right, let's sing that together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. That's doxology. It's praising Him. Praise Him for the blessings that flow, but more than that, praise Him for who He is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost praising Him for the great triune God that He is, who has no needs in and of Himself, who does not need us, does not, does not have to have us, did not create us so He'd have somebody to love, as some church signs will sometimes declare, but is a God who is totally self-sufficient within Himself. But He did create us, and He did redeem us, not because He needs us, but because He loves us. Because he wanted to. How, how deep, how deep are the riches of God? It's not that he gave us earthly treasure. It's not that he gave us position. It's not that he gives us stuff. That's not his riches. His riches are himself. His riches are his son. His riches are the fact that, that, that He has given us of Himself. And it's so deep. Paul loves that word depth. One writer said, one Puritan writer said, you know, the depths of God are so deep that we can, they're like an ocean that we can look into and we can see deeply, but we can never see the bottom. His riches to us, His wisdom, His knowledge. Isaiah said in, in chapter 40, verses 13 and 14, he said, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man knows him, uh, shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Of course, Isaiah's anticipated response is no one. No one had to counsel him. No one had to consult with him. No one had to show him understanding and justice and all those things because they were innate within God and they're not within us. So we need him. We need him. Then he goes on in the same with Isaiah 4 there. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Now, 
I dare say that most of the time, if we are honest, our prayer times, if we do them, sound as though we are God's counselor. Because they sound as though, God, here's what's best, here's what I know, here's what I know you ought to do in my life and for me and for those around me, and and Lord, I just want to tell you, I've come here, I'm giving you this time, and I want to be your counselor. Paul says, who knows the mind of God? Now, we, we know that Scripture says we can have the mind of Christ, and we do have the mind of Christ when we are in Christ, but, but, but who knows the mind of God in such a way that they can just clearly open it up and say, here, Lord, let me tell you what you need to do. No, he's to be our counselor. And through sola scriptura and by his Holy Spirit, he is our counselor. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who cares for us. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? His ways are unscrutable. His judgments are, 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 his ways are unscrutable. His judgments are unsearchable. We merely need to turn to him. What about verse 35? Or who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? You say, well... Just about 20 minutes ago, these men passed among us. They passed some plates, and I dropped in a buck or two. I gave something to God. Now, if you're of the prosperity gospel ideas, then you will say, I gave this to God. I gave him a $10 bill. I expect a $100 bill tomorrow. Or if I, if I gave him an actual tithe of 10% of everything I make and everything I earn, then I expect my business to grow exponentially with that over the next period of time. If you believe that way, you are, as the Scripture says, a fool. I mean, God has given you everything you have. He has created you. He has sustained you and is sustaining you if you're a believer he has redeemed you and given you eternal life i mean the the work that he has done within you are things that he has given to you not things that you have given to him and now he's paying you back and you'll never be able to do don't have that kind of mentality that is a, a doctrine of demons not a doctrine of scripture Paul is worshiping now. Remember, Paul's not just quoting Job. He's really quoting Job there uh, in God speaking. When Job said, uh, God spoke to Job, said, Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, God says. You think you own that car? You think you own that house? You think you own that 401k? He owns it all. It's his. He's blessed you with that, but he's not blessed you with that because you deserve it. He's blessed you because of his grace. Who is, who is loaned to God? Who is given to God in such a way that God feels obligated to pay you back? That's prosperity gospel. That is not the biblical gospel. Job learned it. You're out Job all through that book. We, we looked at Job a few years ago, if you remember. We took kind of a, a jet view of it, overview of it. But Job, throughout that whole book, uh, 
you see him saying, God, I don't understand this. God, you owe me an explanation. God, why is this happening to me? I've been a good man, I've been a righteous man, and I'm getting what an evil man ought to get. The psalmist said the same thing in Psalm 73. You know, and Job is going through that book saying, God, I want an answer. God, I deserve an answer. God, I need an answer. And he, he does things like this. Who's given to me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven is mine. And he says to him, were you there when I created the world? He says, Job put his hand over his mouth. I have an answer to that. And that's what Romans does, and that's what the solas do. They cause us to put a hand over our mouth where we, we don't speak back to God and say, God, you owe me, because you owe me nothing. Then he gets that last verse, and I realize I've lingered long here. But from him mm. and through him, and to him are all things. To him, to God alone, be glory forever. Amen. Paul just says, when you understand, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, when you understand it's not by your merit or your doing or what you have been able to accomplish, but what he has done. When, when you understand all that He has accomplished and you are, such a, you are nothing but what uh, Newton said, John Newton said in his hymn, Amazing Grace, you are nothing, we've cleaned it up and we say, what a wretch am I. But Newton said, what a, what a worm am I. And God redeemed me out of that. God's given me everything. It's all, it's all His. It's not that 10% of it is His. 100% of it is His. It's not that we give in order that He'll give us more. It's we give out of an expression of gratitude, out of an expression of glory to God alone. So, so you see, to God alone be the glory is sort of the heartbeat of the Reformation. To, glory, to, glory, to God alone be the glory is sort of the, the glue that holds the other four together. It's not more important than them, but it, kinda, it all kind of culminates in to God alone be the glory. And in the Reformation, that's where they got to. Now give me just a minute of diagnosis here. Because I believe... That the greatest sin of the church today, across this land, across many parts of the world, the greatest sin is they don't see, we don't see that. We don't see it's to God alone be the glory. We want a little bit for ourselves. And, and, and part of that is we want to be entertained, we want to be made to feel good. We, it's all about me, it's all about us, it's all about what I get, not about what I give. Giving Him praise, giving Him honor, giving Him glory, thanking Him, rejoicing in Him, glorying in Him. Saying, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. And not just saying it, but living it. I think that's the biggest 
biggest need in the church of Jesus Christ in America, particularly today. We become self-satisfied. We become content. There was another event that happened on October 22nd. Not 6,000 years ago, not even 1,000 years ago, not even 500 years ago, but 11 years ago. We met on a Sunday night, 256 of us that ultimately became Grace Baptist. We don't celebrate this anniversary because we didn't constitute until the 19th of November. We'll celebrate that in a few weeks. But a part of that, not all of it, But a part of that, I'm convinced, is that on that day, prior to that day, we started getting, once again, a glimpse of God's glory. It was still inscrutable. It was still unsearchable in its fullness. But we started getting a glimpse of who He is and and recognizing that He deserves glory. Not a pastor, not a church, not a building, not anything else, but Him alone. I think the question we have to ask ourselves on October 22nd, 2017, is just this. Have we become too satisfied? Have we become too satisfied with what God has given us without recognizing that it's from Him? Have we become too satisfied that for the most part things are pretty calm, especially compared to 11 years ago? That that it's just become too calm, easily calm. It's very nice. We like this. We can come. We can worship. We can sing songs, we can hear the Word, we can hear the Word read and hear the Word preached and and we can pray together and then we can go out of here. There's no real demand on my life, no real obligation on my life. It's just, okay, I did what I did. I like that. And guess what? I like it too. I really do. But if our being satisfied leads us into a complacency, then we are in a need of a new reformation. Folks, I can point to it in other churches all day long, but I'm not worried about other churches. That's not true either. I want us all to experience the glory of God. But I'm really concerned about it at Grace Baptist. May we never lose sight of His glory. May we never lose sight of glorifying Him, magnifying Him. We treat magnifying God many times like we're sitting in a biology lab. You know, in a biology lab, you magnify things through a a, uh, microscope. You ever done that? I was not very good at it, but I did it. I in college and high school, and, I, and in a microscope, you take something that's really small and you blow it up and you see it 
real clearly. And we sometimes treat God like that, that, that he's this little thing in our life that we really need to see a little clearer, so we want to magnify him through a microscope. God forbid that we see God that way. But in many of our lives, we've become big and God has become small, and so we need a, mag- we need a microscope. magnifying the Lord, as the Scripture speaks about, and as we sing about so often, is not using a microscope, but it's using a telescope. And and using a telescope, you you see something that looks small, but it's really not small at all. And you get that telescope out, and you look through it, and you see something of the magnanimous nature of that thing that looks so far away, and and now it's, it's huge. Maybe in our lives, it's not so much that we've become big and he's become small and we need a microscope, but maybe it's that we have moved so far out of his will, we need a telescope. And we have one in the Word. Come magnify the Lord with me. Come see him in all his glory. Come see him for all that he is. Come see Him as the one who is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. And and our worship, Paul says in in chapter 12, right after these verses, he's going to start that practical section out by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Everything he's talked about in the first 11 chapters. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. And the word worship there can also be translated, it is in King James, your, your, your reasonable service, your, your, your acceptable service. And, and what Paul is saying there is, is when you understand all that he has done, when you understand the power of God, the might of God, the glory of God, the perfections of God, as he presents it in his word, then you will worship him in ways that you've never worshipped him before. And your worship that you worship in here together will lead you into obedience when you go out those doors. Holy living. Being a sacrifice for his glory wherever we go. There's other scriptures we could look at and talk about the glory because it's all through the Apostle Paul. But I want you to understand this. The great truth that came out of the Reformation 500 years ago this month when it began is that God alone, God alone deserves the glory. Not a preacher, not a priest, not a bishop, not even a pope, God alone deserves the glory. Let's pray together.